Welcome to I Got Back Up, Getting Back Up With. I'm Talia Lazarus, your host, and in August 2021, my whole life changed. I was in a road accident, which led me to 10 weeks of no walking, knee surgery that September, and double knee surgery in February 2022. After learning how to walk again in my 20s, my journey took me on a physical, emotional, and mental roller coaster, and I was broken and lost in every way. But then I learned I had the ability to change my own life and write my own story. So think of a taboo subject that's not always spoken about. Here we confront it and run towards it head on. Rock bottom becomes a safe and comfortable place. Rising from the ashes, taking control of your life and showing up to your fears takes something extraordinary. The hardest step is the first one, but once you take it, you're already one step ahead of yesterday and one step closer to everything you have ever dreamt of. When I first got my scar, this is so heavy, but I was so excited to be alive, describes Lucy Rout, founder of Taboo. At age 25, Lucy was diagnosed with rare pancreatic cancer, and after an 11-hour surgery and reconstruction of her digestive system, she now takes medication for the rest of her life. Inspired by her journey, Taboo offers pill cases for any occasion and was featured on Dragon's Den. Stephen Bartlett described her pitch as phenomenal. Losing her father and grandfather and receiving her cancer diagnosis all around the same time, Lucy began to question, when is this going to stop? With creams that made her feel that her scar was a blemish, people staring when she wears a crop top or bikini, and in tears trying to find role models of women with scars on their bodies, Lucy chose to be the change that she wants to see in the world. Don't waste so much time waiting, scared of trying to achieve unbelievably cool things. Even if you try and you fail, keep going, because you'll be that 1% that tried. So welcome to Lucy. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. I'm very good. So originally, or you are usually based in the United Kingdom, but where are you today? (laughs) So I'm currently um, in Thailand on an island called Koh Tao. Um, So yeah, I'm normally based in London running my business, um, but I decided to get a 60-day digital nomads visa. So I'm in Thailand sort of traveling around, um, getting some sunshine and doing some work out there, which has been really cool. Met lots of cool people. And yeah, I'm currently in a hostel in Thailand with some very glamorous views that you can see. So it's nice. <laughs> and just quickly, actually, how is that then being able to um, just kind of pack up your laptop and go there? I'd say it has pros and cons. Um, I've spoken to a lot of people that are aspiring nomads. Pros are obviously you get to see the world and you get to travel, which is amazing. Cons are, it's definitely lonely. Um, you know, solo travel isn't, I think, for the faint-hearted. Also, I'm working UK hours a lot of the time because um, I do lots of media interviews and stuff. So I was on BBC, I can't even remember, something at 2.30am Thailand time a couple of days ago. So that there's lots of, um, I think there's pros and cons. It is amazing to get the opportunity, but there's definitely sides to it, I think, that have, yeah, ups and downs, really. Yeah, no, I, no absolutely. I, I kind of hear things like that quite a lot. So it's interesting to hear it from someone else as well so obviously we want to go all into your story who you are you know where you are now and what led you to to everything that you're doing today but I want to go a little bit into the background first and like I was saying what has led you to who you are today and you know you can start from wherever you think is necessary in your story yeah cool um so I think the biggest kind of life event and sort of that led to the business and kind of most of the the big things really was um age 25 I had went to the doctor um I wasn't feeling quite right and I was sort of putting off going to the doctor you know how we always do right we're just like oh don't need to go to the doctor whatever uh eventually went to the doctor and I had suspected appendicitis so she was like okay you need to go for an abdominal scan quite quickly um, and I was in a big corporate job where I thought I was very important and I was climbing this big ladder and, you know, everything's more important than health, right? When you're a corporate job, cause you just believe whatever. <laughs> so, um, 
I was like, oh, you know, whatever. So I ended up going for the scan. Um, and they scanned my whole abdomen and they unfortunately found quite a rare pancreatic cancer, um, which obviously wasn't the news anyone was expecting <laughs> for appendicitis. Um, so from there, I had obviously lots of different scans and lots of different things. Um, and then eventually it was concluded I would need something called a Whipple procedure, which is basically a full reconstruction of your digestive system. Um, an 11-hour 11 11 surgery, um, obviously quite complex and intense. And then quite a long subsequent recovery from there. Um, and yeah, that was all age 25. And then from there, when I was recovering, I was told I'd need to take medication with food for the rest of my life, um, which was obviously, again, a bit of a surprise. I was learning to kind of drive my new disability, but also now coming to terms with the fact that, to be honest, a lot of my life was going to be defined by medication. That for something for a 25-year-old who was previously completely healthy and had never taken anything stronger than a paracetamol um, was obviously quite a, quite a big thing to, I don't want to say quite a big pill to swallow because that's a bit cringe, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and so yeah I kind of got through all of that and was like okay um, I'm gonna make lemonade out of this I, I don't know what yet but I'm, I'm gonna do something positive with this and I remember one of my favorite things telling people is um I found an email I'd sent at two o'clock in the morning when I was in intensive care to the great British world book of records and I'd written to them saying that I wanted to be the fastest person in the world to run a marathon dressed as a pancreas and I remember the nurses were like, what, you know, your intensive care, like, what are you doing? Like, go back. you need to be resting. And I was just like, no, because of the marathon. And then people would like, I couldn't walk or anything at the time. So that, I always knew that I was going to try and do something positive. Um, and then, yeah, I just um, learned about this medication, sort of spoke to different people in the community. And then my sort of the small business idea formed. And ever since, I guess we'll go on to it. But ever since there, I've just been trying to advocate and do make lemonade is what I keep calling it. Um try and do something positive or make limoncello depending on who I'm speaking to <laughs> but, yeah, that was kind of a time and moment for me in my life where I just decided that I was gonna I think pancreatic cancer is a really difficult one um because nine in ten that have it don't get longer than five years um so it's a really tough thing to live with knowing that statistic and being the one in ten that is okay now if that makes sense um yeah. I say okay yeah. obviously when you live with the whipple it's very different but um yeah so for me that's a stat and that's something that I've really struggled with um and really had to live with and it's quite uh, quite tricky to live with basically because you feel unbelievably privileged but you also feel I guess a little bit guilty and there's just a lot of weird of weird emotion kind of things going on there so I've just been de ever determined ever since to try and do something positive and that's kind of where the yeah where the journey has started yeah it's really interesting that um I mean, that's the thing is a lot of people I speak to, it's really interesting that how, what they've been through, obviously then, like you said, it, it changes everything afterwards and for yeah. you, you know, making lemonade, let's say. But do you think that had kind of, was that something you wanted to do before? Had you wanted to help people before, do you think? Or was it that life-defining? Yeah, no, I've always wanted to help people. So my background before that, I was working for Unilever um, in sustainability and social impact. So we were doing loads of cool things in yeah. Um, we did a cool collaboration with Netflix, for example, all around sex education and taboos around sex education, um, all working in sustainability, did work with, with UNICEF. So I've always wanted to help people. I think for me, getting cancer supercharged it, A, but also B, gave me this kind of, it's hard to, it's hard to describe. I was trying to describe it to people. It gives you this, once you've beaten something like that, it gives you this relentless self-belief and this relentless kind of <laughs> feeling of, if I can do that, I can do anything. Um, so I'd always wanted to have my own business, but I'd always thought, you know, maybe I'll wait to, I don't know, age, age 40 or whatever, once I've got more experience and I know what I'm doing and whatever. But, um, after, yeah, after sort of that experience, I just thought, actually, I'm going to start my own business now. I'm not going to know what I'm doing, but I'm going to try. Um, 
I'm going to get on Google and just start learning. And yeah, that kind of really supercharged and accelerated getting started and was kind of the kick that I needed. But yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well, because I think a lot of people want to do want to do things in their life, but they're like, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it in, in a year. I'll oh, do it in five yeah. years. I'll do it. In, I'll do it. Yeah. 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 I'll do it when I'm married. I'll do it when I've got kids. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. But I just think that there is never a right time. There is never a really a right time. And the longer you keep holding something off, the longer it doesn't happen. And then eventually one day it's just not going to happen. I completely agree. And to be honest, I felt the same with travel. So I've always wanted to come to Thailand. Um, but I was like, oh, and I re- uh, quite recently got out of a long-term relationship. I was like, oh, okay, I'll wait until I've got a new boyfriend or I'll wait until I'm a bit more, um, you know, a bit more body confident. I struggle quite a lot with body confidence because I've got a big scar now. My body's really different. So I was kind of waiting. I was like, oh, I'll just wait or I'll wait until there's a better time for the business or I'll wait until, you know, the media stuff's calmed down or whatever. Then I just thought to myself, actually, book a flight, um, figure it out when you get there. Um, and it's been one of the coolest, you know, coolest experience I've ever done. But I think to your point, I think we waste so much time and it, you know, breaks my heart to think how many people could be achieving such unbelievably cool things if they just stopped waiting and just started trying. Um and that's the message I push to anyone that will listen to me. You know, nine in 10 startups fail. My startup might fail. I might completely fall over. You know, going into Dragon's Den, I thought, oh, my God, you know, this is never good. All, all I'm going to do is leave with learning. And I left with what the media have very kindly called the best deal in 20 years. So I, my biggest message to anyone who reaches out to me, I get a lot of emails saying, oh, you know, I don't know how to run a business because I don't know what I'm doing or I'm too scared to start a podcast. I'm too scared to start this. Yeah. My message to everyone is just try. Like, no one knows what they're doing. You know, your first... If you're starting a podcast, your first 200 podcasts will probably have one listener each and it will probably be on my And then maybe someone else might listen to the second one and then the third one and you just have to keep going. It's the same with, so when I started my business, I had no money, right? I had nothing. Um, and I was like, right, well, okay, I don't have any money for advertising, whatever, but what I do have is social media and what I do have is I can try and get some PR. So I wrote to like thousands of journalists, right? Everyone ignored me. Um, and then eventually I sent my opinion, I sent an opinion piece to Forbes magazine and they published it. And I was like, cool okay <laughs> right um and then from there I sent that the Forbes piece to Sky TV and I was like can I have a business segment I thought they're gonna say no they said yes and I was like okay great and then I got scouted for Dragon's Den so my biggest message to anyone is try you know send 20,000 cold emails if you get ignored 20,000 times that's absolutely fine just keep trying um yeah. no one that you see in life that's been successful rolled out of bed and got that um, you know, there's been 50,000 cold emails behind someone landing, a, you know, a space in a big retailer, or there's been 20,000 failed audition tapes for every single successful artist that then has made it. Or, you know, one of my best friends at the moment, um, she's called Victoria Jenkins. She's the founder of a company called Unhidden. You should get on the podcast. Um, she <laughs> is the first fashion designer to have an adaptive runway, uh, runway show at London Fashion Week. So basically clothes for people with disability. Um, it took her eight years. She wrote to Vogue probably 50,000 times. She's been ignored. She sent samples. She's, you know, she's gone. Fashion is such a difficult industry to get cut through. She's worked so hard. And last week she was, she covered Vogue. And you just think, you know, um, but again, she didn't roll out of bed to get that. That was eight years of hard work. So I think, yeah, my biggest advice to anyone who asked me is just keep trying. Um, the biggest limiting factor is your own self-belief and just not getting out of bed and trying. And once you start trying, amazing things can happen, but equally, there's normally 20,000 fails behind them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I really couldn't. And it, it's just a case of never giving up. Um, you know, just keep trying. And it, it's learning to be okay with failure because a lot of people hate, 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 I mean, hate yeah. failure. You, you know, and everyone reacts to it so differently. But 
you have to keep almost going through failures and you have to keep going through the stumbling blocks because I think A, they make you stronger, B, they make you more resilient and C, the more failures you do get through, it's kind of like the closer to the dream you almost are. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I pitched to a huge retailer the other day, I can't say who, and it's going to take a couple of, I get that thingy, <laughs> but, um, and I spoke to another small business and they're like, oh, you're so lucky to have got the pitch. And I literally just said to them, I probably sent 10,000 emails. I probably tried to contact so many people on LinkedIn. Like, I think the biggest barriers to your point are, yeah, people being so scared of failing that they won't even try, but also so scared of like, you know, what people are going to think or what people are going to say, or so scared of the amount of people I've started, you know, speaking to that their dream is to become a content creator, but they'd never dare post anything online because a boy at school might laugh. And you just think, God's sake, like if you spend your whole life, (laughs) you know, the same people that are rude to you when you're trying or laughing at you when you're trying, are going to be the same people that once you've made it, they're going to come and ask you for advice. It's the same with trolls, right? You know, after Dragon's Den, I got tens of thousands of very positive comments, but a few hundred really negative things, you know, about my appearance, the way I speak, people assuming I was rich beforehand, you know, all this just negative crap, sorry to swear on the podcast, but you just kind of think, you know, the people that are horrible are going to be the same people that once you've made it are going to be knocking at your door and saying, hey, how did you get there? So you just, uh, my biggest advice to everyone is never stop trying, never be scared of failing, but also you know you've got to at some point stop worrying about what other people think um because no you know no successful athlete or successful entrepreneur or successful podcaster whatever was perfect when they started they probably failed ninety five thousand times and then eventually got to where they were um so if you're scared of even trying you're you're never going to become the one percent that have made it you're always just going to be in that corner of people that are yeah not getting there so it breaks my heart every time someone writes to me saying, oh, you know, I've got a dream. My dream is to start a blog. And I just reply saying, start. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or I get a load of people, a load of young entrepreneurs saying, hey, um, I want to start a business, but no one's ever taught me how to do it. And I go back and I'm quite brutal sometimes. And I say, no one taught me. You know, I got onto YouTube, you know, when I, wanted to, when I decided I wanted to start a range of products, I Googled product designer, found out they were about £20,000, realized I didn't have that much money. So I went on YouTube and learned how to design a CAD, you know, a, um, a CAD for a product. And then it got yeah. to sample stage. So I wrote to probably 300 manufacturers and everyone ignored me or asked for £10,000 for tooling or asked for all this stuff. And it was stuff I didn't have. So I kept writing. And you just have to keep yeah. going. Um, yeah, it's I get very passionate about this sort of stuff because it just breaks my heart to think how many incredibly talented people there are in the world that are just too scared to try. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually really interesting you said that because it was only yesterday I had a conversation with somebody who said that they wanted to try something new. Um, I think in their 30s, they wanted to try something new, but they they didn't want to go back to the beginning oh. again. And I just said, but, but, you know, I went back to the beginning six months ago. You know, go back to the beginning, because if you go back to the beginning, you know, you'll actually... I, I remember just saying to do it, like, yeah. just do it. Just go back to the beginning and do it. And again, it, it's really interesting because I could hear the passion in your voice because I feel the same. It's like, I will tell anyone to do it, just try and just a hundred percent and also I think as well to your point on age that that thing about 30 stuck with me I think there is such a I'm not swearing your <laughs> podcast but there is such a what's the polite word for bs there is such a silly tip, um <laughs> around age like you know Forbes 30 under 30 yeah. so you know you scroll through TikTok oh yeah the 19 year old that made seven figures whatever sorry <laughs> you know Vera Wang did her first dress at 40 she's done all right you know it's like people are so we're all so yeah. obsessed with 
you know, we have to achieve things by a certain date. We have to be engaged yeah. by a certain date. As women, we have to be doing whatever. Like, it's such a load of rubbish. You know, if you're 55 or 15 and you've got a dream, try. You will fail for the first yeah. five years and it will be frustrating. And a boy at school might laugh at you. You know, I had, um, after Dragon's Den, I had a man make two five-minute hate videos about me. And I was like, interesting. And and that's where I learned actually one of my biggest learnings, which I learned was from this really famous entrepreneur who reached out to me and said, well done. And I nearly fainted when he emailed me. So I was like, well, <laughs> but he basically said to me, like, I sent him these videos and I said, hey, mate, like, how, you know, how would you deal with this? He's a super successful guy, right? But if you search him, I'm not going to name drop, but if you search him, he constantly gets hate videos of people just bashing his company about how on whatever it is or just, you know, rubbish, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I sent this to him and I said, you know, mate, how am I, how am I supposed to deal with this? You know, I've literally gotten to the stage where, people are making and that stuff you know I'm never gonna sugarcoat it and I never do on social media trolling hurts trolling really really hurts when you sit and read threads of yourself and a few hundred people saying that you are the ugliest person or the stupidest person or, or imagine any insecurity you have being served to you on a plate by hundreds of random people it's not nice it really hurts and I sent him these videos and I said to him you know how much I don't understand how I'm meant to deal with this. You know, I'm tearing myself over this, whatever. And he said, in life, you can, it's really the best advice I've ever had. In life, you can choose to be a duck or you can choose to be a sponge. So a sponge uh, will sit there and it will sponge in all of that feedback and take absolutely all of it on board about how ugly you are, how stupid you are, whatever. And all of these horrible negative comments from people who have literally just set out to be nasty to you. Or he said, you can be a duck. And ducks obviously have the back, you know, like a, um, I don't know, I'd he said you can just be a duck and you can let those words roll off your back and you can just keep swimming forward knowing that you're leaving all of that stuff behind and it's going to sound silly but it was the best advice I've ever been given because I remember just thinking that I'm just thinking okay right I'm just gonna stop he was like stop reading it stop he you know he said to me you know they're over here you're over here like you're succeeding these people their purpose is you're succeeding and you're trying these people have a purpose of just trying to tear you down just let them do their thing be a duck don't be a sponge and just keep going and it was the best advice I've ever received. And this guy has exited companies for God knows how much money. He's been so relentlessly successful and he's done so much good in the world. He's got his own foundation, whatever. Um, but for me, that was one of the most powerful pieces of advice I've ever received. And now if I get negativity or trolling or hate or whatever, I just kind of let it wash off. And I try not yeah. to take it in because I think if you accept, you know, Dragon's Den gets 7 million viewers, right, each episode. Um, and if you're to take on the opinion and the weight of the entire world, in particular in social media where it is often unfortunately such an angry place you know it's such a place of hatred of these negative accounts that just want to tear people down and they just purely exist to be unkind you can choose to absorb all of that and you can choose to pack up your business and close your social media accounts and let those people win or you can choose to let it roll off you um, and just keep going obviously if I get feedback that's constructive or helpful then I always take it on board whenever I get a customer being like hey you know, I'd love it if your pillcases did this. I always go back and say, thank you so much. That's really helpful feedback, yeah. product development, whatever, and keep going. But if it's literally just, you know, an anonymous account saying that's the ugliest girl I've ever seen, you just kind of think, at first, honestly, I, I sat and I tore myself apart. I've always been very insecure about my appearance, my personality, the way I speak. You know, as young women we are, right? We tear ourselves apart over everything. But having a few hundred people tell you that message again and again and again, and again honestly, it eats you. Yeah so yeah duck or sponge is my advice to anyone that asks when they say like oh you know I've had trolling I've had hate my auntie says my business is a stupid idea you know my my sister's dog doesn't like my business idea I just say duck or sponge um you know and I think yeah. if you're getting consistent feedback from the people that you love and you care about 
about your business or really successful entrepreneurs about your business maybe you know think about it pivot if you need to but if it's a random hate account on tiktok honestly your life is far your life your love and your energy is far too important and precious to care (laughs) sorry yeah yeah no no and i agree with you i agree and it's really interesting when you talk about um about you know the physical side and the appearance and especially body body positivity um how people can say things you know to people about what they look like what they sound like or 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 just in general their body and obviously you know you have you know a scar on your body and people have scars all over their body in all different shapes sizes and places so how and you mentioned body positivity before as well so how how has that journey just in general been for you with with learning just learning with how to live and with what's kind of the scar and you know kind of what's happened yeah, since? it's a really good question actually and I've never properly thought about it so let me just <laughs> no I have um so I've been on a real journey um with self-acceptance so when I first got my scar um I was this is quite heavy so sorry but I was so excited to be alive and I was so excited to be out of hospital that I thought my scar was the best thing in the whole world I absolutely loved it you know for me it was this undeniable sign of strength and I was like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen I absolutely loved it for like the first (laughs) I reckon three months of recovery so for six months I was in physio so my first physio was learning how to walk again it was learning how to breathe from your diaphragm again it was really starting and I'm I'm a gym I'm a gym girl you know so I'm used to being able to squat 60 kilos so for me this was like right we're really starting from the beginning I got really thin whatever so I had to rebuild myself back up and I saw my scar as such a sign of strength I thought it was amazing I loved it um and then I started uh, a couple of two things happened number one was I would wear crop tops out in public um and that's when I soon came to realize that uh the staring started so I, I can't um go to a beach now or out in a crop top without people staring uh, that's just it's just kind of how my life is now um and the comments started um so often I think it's interesting with physical difference and disability I talk about this quite a lot often people make comments that they think are really well-meaning and they genuinely come from a really really lovely place um but when you're on the receiving end of them, all they do in that moment is catapult you into someone that feels different. And sometimes in life, when you're in a big social setting, all you want to do is just blend in, right? You just want to kind of be in a group and be in a pub or whatever. So I had lots of comments from people that were really, really well-meaning. Things like, oh my God, I love how you're brave enough to get it out. And you kind of think, mm, okay, it's just what my body looks like. I'm just on a beach in a bikini. It's not me being brave. It's not me making a political statement. It's just me being in a bikini. Um, or like, you know, in the gym, I remember I was in a crop top and leggings and someone was like, oh, God, you're so bold. <laughs> and I was just like, this isn't this isn't me making a statement. This is just me going to the gym. Like, And, and I remember that sort of started to taint my confidence a bit. And I was kind of like, okay, brush them off. But once you get enough, like, and also I think it's just learning to live with something you're not used to. So I've always been able-bodied. I've never really had anything about me that's different that people would stare at, you know? So I, I'd never really had that before. So it was learning to live with that. Then also I started using, um, <laughs> I quite openly bash them to be honest. Um, I started using scar creams and stuff just to like make it more healthy and whatever. And I think when you read the messaging enough that your scar is a blemish or an imperfection that you should be trying to get rid of, you really start to believe it. Um, and it sinks in you know I think as young women right we've been told in the media since we were what five years old that 
you know, if our bodies get bigger, it's a problem. If we're hairy, it's a problem. Our whole body is just a problem the whole time, <laughs> according according to mainstream advertising. But the scar cream adverts, yeah, the me- the messaging is stuff like you know, remove your blemish, cover up your thing. You know, clinically proven to dramatically reduce appearance, and you just think that stuff really sits with you and it really sticks. Um, and then there's obviously you know the side with regards to I don't think it's usually talked about, but happy to chat about it. Regards to things like sexual confidence, so. As a young woman, you know, right, if you're, you know, in your underwear and your scars out, it, it's really, it's a difficult thing to try and embrace. I've got a lot of friends that have had things like mastectomies, so have obviously lost their bodies, etc. So it's, um, it's difficult, you know, it's hard and it takes time. Um, and I searched everywhere in the media. I used to literally sit and Google girls with scars. I'd be like, come on, girls with stomach scars, come on, find me a role model that I can look up to that's wearing a cool outfit and wearing cool leather pants and has a scar like mine that I can look up to you um for inspiration and that is shown as a powerful portrayal of someone who's beaten cancer has a scar lives with disability and is now sort of living her best life and I really couldn't find anything and I you know I sat for hours and hours and hours and days and days and days and it got to the point where I just thought to myself do you know what I'm gonna start being that for other people I wrote it on a piece of paper and I was like I don't know how I'm gonna do it yet but I'm gonna start being it for other people (laughs) and it started with me for what I call um what I call mini revolutions so for me every single time a woman or man are they them anyone of any gender shows their body that's not used to being seen either on social media or in the gym or on the tube or whatever for me that's a bit of a mini revolution because you can see other people looking and you can see their brain thinking well hang on she's you know they they look they look once at first because they're inquisitive and you can see their brains kind of thinking well hang on if she's doing it actually I've got something like that and actually I normally cover mine and whatever so I started wearing out it out everywhere that I physically could. Um, I I now just ignore staring because it happens to me wherever I go. So I just started ignoring it. Um, and then I started yeah, showing it on socials and just sort of getting it out and stuff. And then again, you get comments like, oh, oh you know, I wish I was as brave as you. And you just think, oh, you know, whatever. Um, and then obviously there was the media side. So when I was invited to, no, when I got my first press coverage um, in Forbes, I made a huge point of wearing my scar out. So I phoned a friend and said hey I've just been covered in Forbes and they need press photos and I'm not really sure what they are but I think we need to take some cool photos of me in a suit with a pill glass full of pills and she was like okay sure so we found this suit um and we took these photos of my mascara out and that's kind of when it started and then same with Dragon's Den I wore it out on the show and now in every piece of media content I put out I show it and I've had over I think today it's 237 I counted yesterday um messages or emails or whatever from young people who've either had cancer or had a something called a larynectomy or something, which is like a similar thing to me, that have scars like mine of the exact same similar sentiment, saying stuff like, you know, we've been I've been scouring the internet for representation. You're the first role model I've found. Thank you. Or I had a woman the other day, if I start crying, no, I'm not, because it's embarrassing, but I had a woman the other day saying, hey, I had open heart surgery and now I have quite a similar scar to you. I've never worn a bikini before, but after seeing your campaign, I just bought my first bikini. And you just think, like, you know, all the sales in the world, all the press yeah. coverage in the world, all these weird awards in the world that you just get emails saying you've been nominated and you're just like, okay. Um, <laughs> nothing means more than a message like that. Because, you know, I sat in tears for months looking for one of those. And all I wanted was to see my body in something that wasn't one of those stupid adverts that was telling me I was a blemish, telling me my whole upper section was a blemish. All I wanted was that moment of seeing someone that looked like me that I could relate to and to be able to have the opportunity to play a very small part in being that for other people 
means more than any amount of press coverage, awards, sales or success that anything else could be. Um, and yeah, that's that's what yeah that's what taboo is all about. Like it's you know I got tagged in a really emotional LinkedIn post again yesterday, just like trying to advocate and show you know disability is not a dirty word. We're not a sob story. Yeah. Um, you know, none of us have sob stories. None of us have our violins out. We're all just going through adversity and doing our very very best to live the best lives that we can on the other side of it. And we deserve to see ourselves in media campaigns. We did, that's why I did you know directed a few campaigns. I did one for International Women's Day. I did one for taboo talking about like medication stigma and I set out on a mission to put as many different physical differences and conditions as I could behind the camera in a positive way because yeah. you know we need so desperately to start disrupting advertising and start disrupting the media so that little girls aged five you know five-year-old Lucy needs to be able to look at adverts and see herself represented not just on a billboard saying that she's a blemish like for goodness sake I think body positivity and things have come such a long way but there is so much work to be done I think in particular within the realms and space of disability it is so often and so obviously a box tick for so many brands you know you see their lineup in a campaign and you can just see the look on their face going oh we need to quickly just get someone in a wheelchair and just put someone in a wheelchair in the end and that's that's not the reality of the landscape in the UK there are so many people living with disability we need to see we deserve to see ourselves in campaigns and we deserve to see ourselves represented so yeah to be able to play a very small role in that is amazing. Um, I also, a big message I normally push is, you know, my body confidence isn't perfect every day. Um, someone said to me, you know, what's your secret? Like, how are you so confident? I had this on a shoot. I was doing a bikini campaign shoot thing a couple of weeks ago. Some girl came up to me. She's amazing. Uh, she said, you know, how are you so confident? Like, how are you just fine? How are you just trotting around in your bikini? And I said, do you know what? Before you all got here, I cried. And then I listened to All I Do Is Win by DJ Khaled for half an hour. <laughs> because, you know, no one's, con sorry, in my opinion, I, d I don't think, I, I have, I'm yet, sorry, I'm yet to meet someone that's confident every day and loves themselves every single day, right? It takes training, it takes looking in the mirror, it takes crying when you need to. Sometimes, you know, it, it shouldn't do, but sometimes it takes external validation, right? You know, I'm single now, but if a guy gives me a compliment on my body, it means a lot. Because I'm like, cool, okay, yeah, great. Um, which is, you know, sad because it should come from with you. But yeah, I get a lot of people saying, how have you managed to get there? What's your secret? There is no secret. It takes training and it takes hard work and it takes finding role models and then just putting yourself out there. And I still get a moment, you know, every time I go to a beach, I still get a bit nervous because I know what's coming I know there's questions coming um I know there's stairs coming I know there's some sort of backhanded compliment coming where people generally mean their best um but yeah I, I still get nervous when people people see my body I think that's quite normal um but I've come a long way it's but it's a journey it's a journey of acceptance for everyone I think whether you have a scar or not I think everyone has to go through their own journey of acceptance and even if I think finding self-love is hard but if you can find a place where you're at peace with your body and you stop yeah. letting it hold you back from doing things. I think that's where the magic happens. How many people, you know, haven't been to a beach because they're worried about something as stupid as cellulite? For God's sake, guys, like, you know, take it from me. When you're 25 and you're being handed a cancer diagnosis, you are not thinking about your cellulite. You are not thinking about the circumference of your left thigh that you've hated since you were eight years old. <laughs> you're thinking about your family and your friends and your memories and the future that you you know, hope you're going to have, but you're not bloody sure, to be honest, when you're in a PET scan. Um, so yeah, my biggest message to anyone that will listen to me is, you know, even if you can't find self-love, because I think what 10% of us can, it's so hard to get there. Just accept yourself and just be kind to yourself and show your body the respect and kindness that you would show other people. 
and speak to yourself with the same respect that you would to your friend. You know, if your body came, if your friend came up to you and said, you know, I think I'm the fattest, ugliest person in the whole world, you'd give them the biggest pep talk in the whole world and you tell them not to be ridiculous. So I just always try and say to people, please, please, please always speak to your own body in the same way you'd speak to your best friends. Um, yeah. But it's hard. You know, life is short. For God's sake, we all just need to stop caring is basically my headline. Life goes very yeah. quickly um, as what I've noticed. Life goes so quickly. And and it, what was interesting and when you said the whole thing about, but, you know, you're not going to wake up every day and be 100% confident or 100% happy every day. And I think people people don't realize, they think the journey of self-acceptance and self-love means that they'll get to a finish line where every single day yeah. they get to wake up in a certain way. And those days they don't, they then, I know people... They, they panic, they shut down, it's destroying because they think, well, 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 no, I was happy yesterday. Why am I not happy today? Why am I insecure today? And you, you mean you hit the nail on the head. It's, it is a journey. And, and even when you do get to, you know, please got a happier, uh, uh, a healthier, you know, anyone in general, I mean, a happier, healthier, more positive place in your life. I think it's still important to understand that, you know, that doesn't mean that a random Tuesday you're going to wake up and feel a hundred, you know, a hundred dollars that day, a hundred pounds, whatever. You have to kind of wake up and know that if you haven't woken up in that way, it's yeah. okay. Uh, it, it's really. I completely okay. agree with you, and I think as well in those moments, it's so important to find who your allies are, right, and also be an ally to other people. Yeah. So I've got loads of friends that are normally super confident, but you can see a day, you know, you can see a day with what a bag, a t-shirt, yeah. whatever, and I think. In the grand scheme of life, physical importance is uh, physical appearance is just the least important thing in the whole world. Literally, no one cares. I'm not friends with my friends because of the way they look. I'm friends with them because of the kindness and the heart and the care and the compassion and how much they yeah. make me laugh and whatever. But you know, if you can be an ally, you know, if, I always say this to people. You know, if you see someone that looks beautiful or you love their outfit or they've got, you know, they think they've got beautiful eyes or great hair or whatever, just go and tell them. Like, um, <laughs> you know, I think the more we can bring each other up and the more we can bring the world up, but equally. Yeah in tandem disrupt advertising as much as we can to show these positive portrayals and representations of people of all different shapes sizes genders and backgrounds i think then you create the perfect yeah. storm yeah i think there's two things there's there's many revolutions there's us all being allies and helping each other but then there's also disrupting the mass media at scale which god knows we've got a lot of work to do but we're all out there trying so yeah <laughs> yeah no i agree i agree and also then I obviously wanted to to speak about taboo because now you've mentioned it a few times and for anybody <laughs> that doesn't know about it, um, you know, kind of what, what is it and, and why why did you get to create it and build it from where yeah, you were? So um, I take medication with food. I will do for the rest of my life. It's something called Freon. It's a pancreatic enzyme. And I used to feel really awkward administering my tablets in public. I used to just find it a bit awkward um, getting them out, you know, at dinner table or whatever. And I got some quite awkward comments for doing so. Um, and I searched the market for a pill case, you know, just a slightly pill case that at the very least would look a bit nice that I could keep them in. Um, and I was really surprised to find next to nothing. Um, so I found lots of those plastic, you know, dosset dosset boxes Monday to Sunday, obviously super functional, great for those with lower dexterity, have a wonderful purpose. Um, not necessarily to my style choices. So I kind of, you know, looked a bit further, did some more digging and I was really, really surprised to be honest and quite disappointed to find next to nothing that combined, you know, style, function and durability for young people like me living with chronic illness and disability that just want to pop something in, you know, their tablets and something um, that looks a bit nice. So I had a bit of a look at the market, found out that you could buy about 20 different types of sandals for a dog, but not a nice pill case, which I thought was interesting. Um, so, yeah, that kind of I thought, OK, right, I'm going to build a pill case business. I'm not really sure how I'm going to do it. 
but I'm going to build a pillcase business and the brand mission is going to be remove the stigma around medication by opening up the conversation. So I um, got onto YouTube and learned how to design my first ever products. Um, I did three different seven days software free trials to learn how to design my first ever CAD. Then I emailed hundreds of manufacturers, eventually got two rounds of sampling, did some prototyping. Um, and then, yeah, did my first, I invested everything I have <laughs> into my first minimum order quantity, um, which was obviously very nerve wracking. And then the stock arrived and I panicked, obviously, because I think as any entrepreneur does and just thought, oh my God, what have I done? Um, I was working alongside a full-time job at Amazon at the time. Um, so it was alongside a full-time job. Um, and then I just bought a TikTok light because I was like, okay, right, I need to get some social media. <laughs> um, bought a TikTok light and just started talking to camera about my medication. So trying to educate others and telling the story of the business and trying to drive those conversations open. Um, and yeah, now we have, I always say we, it's just me. Um, I have two products. So a daily pill case, which is sort of like a small pill case that's stainless steel that attaches to a key ring. Um, and I have a seven day pill case as well. Um, the journey we incorporate, I <laughs> incorporated in July, 2021, um, started selling October 21. First piece of coverage was, I was very fortunate. I don't want to say lucky because it's from the result of pitching. So it's never really luck, but, um, I got it into Grazia magazine, which was cool. Then we got Forbes magazine, which is amazing. Ended up with Sky TV. And then it was at that point in December 21, um, where I got scouted for Dragon's Den. And that's when my life <laughs> changed a lot, really. <laughs> yeah, that's when it all kind of went a bit crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, again, it's really interesting because, you know, had you have, you know, not been what you've been through, then you wouldn't have created something like this, um, which is always, again, I know I've said this before, but it's always so interesting how things just, how things happen and how the, how the world goes after, you know, just any, 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 anything in life. Um, and then obviously, so how was, I mean, how was being on Dragon's Den? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So a week before, um, well, I guess you won't, so the show obviously cuts out quite a lot. So a bit more context. Um, I scouted in, would have been what? Yeah. January, 2022. Um, lost my dad back in the January, 2022, um, which was really difficult. And then, so I was going through the Dragon's Den application at the time. And then my dad died and I was just like, yeah, do you know what? Uh, I'm done like whatever very nearly emailed them and said no thanks um just because you know not right time whatever also business was really small I've been trading for three months I've made 10k like all these hundreds of reasons for why not to do something to your point that we made earlier um and yeah it's a super low point obviously losing your parent is awful um and I was just like I don't think I want to do it I don't think I want to do it and then I got a call um I'd got through all the process and they were like you've got a filming date at the 11th of May and I was like right okay um at which point obviously you're under like 100 ndas right so i called my mum and just said hey you know this thing's happened um i've got a filming date not everyone that gets filmed makes it on tv whatever i just said you know i don't know if i'm strong enough at the moment. i don't think i should do it and she said you've got to go she was like you know you, you know well, we'd lost my granddad the year before as well and he used to <laughs> he was amazing when i was five years old he used to say to me what do you want to be when you're older and if i said anything that wasn't prime minister i'd get told off <laughs> he's very like you know whatever uh, she was like you've got to go she was like you know they'd be so proud of you you've got to go you've got to go and try and I was like okay and then I was doing all the preparation and a week before I called her again and I just said mom I, I physically can't do this like you know the business is too early they're gonna laugh me out the door um it's gonna be embarrassing also you sign over to the BBC what's called full creative control so you don't get to see the edit um so any you know anything can happen and I just said to my mind I don't think I can do it you know and also you get all these warnings about online bullying you get all these warnings and all these reasons not to do it and I phoned my mum and said I don't think I can do it and eventually I decided to go ahead um went for the filming 
did my pitch. I was so nervous. I don't know if you've seen the episode. I was literally shaking so much. They kept telling me to breathe, which is obviously great. And I opened my eyes um, after I finished my pitch. And I was like, you know, they're going to tear me apart. They're going to laugh me in the face. They're going to be like, get out. You know, what are you doing? Um, and Stephen Bartlett looked me in the eye. And he was like, that was phenomenal. And I was like, yeah. and I, I, you can see it on the screen. I kind of freeze in my eyes. I went so, my eyes went so wide, I went viral on Twitter, which was hilarious. Um, and then at that point, I was like, right. And I don't know what it was. It was just this weird, like, all the, you know, weird life thing. Like, in my head, I just, it's going to sound really, really crazy. But I saw my dad. I saw my granddad. I saw my mum. I saw all my friends. And I just, I just saw everything. I saw, like, cancer. I just saw it all. After he had said that, and I was like, I um, literally thought in my head, I was like, I'm not getting out of here without an offer. I was like, I'm not doing it. So I was like, right, push your shoulders back. Come on. Like, I was I literally gone from like shaking, like, I don't want to say little girl, but I was terrified. And I pushed my shoulders back and I was like, right, if he said yeah. that, that means I, my logic was going off. So it's like, right, if Stephen Bartlett said it's okay, well, not okay, he said it's phenomenal. I was like, that means the others probably think it's okay too. So you're not getting out of here without a fight, basically. You're not, you're not going anywhere. So, um, and you're grilled for, I was in there for two hours, which no one ever sees. You only see like 15 minutes. Um, and you just get grilled. Every single bit of your business gets overturned and questioned and grilled and whatever. Um, yeah. And then I left with, yeah, obviously the deal I did. And it was crazy. Um, obviously you're under NDA and then I went live. It didn't go live until the following January. So you're sat on this weird secret. <laughs> um for like nine months which is crazy and all your friends are like what's new with your business and you're just like oh nothing um yeah it was a great experience um obviously once in a lifetime um I went to go and work for Peter for six months um which was cool because that was one part of my job offer part of the deal was going work for him which was amazing obviously once in a lifetime opportunity um and then after the show the business went crazy and I just had to decide whether to go full-time and I did um which has been yeah one point you've made has really stuck with me the point around like you know, had the cancer not have happened, the business would have never happened. And then da, 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 da. And it's just interesting to look. I never really thought about it like that. It's just interesting to, because I think I always would have gone into entrepreneurship, but it never would have been something that would have had that powerful or personal of a reason. It would have probably just been, yeah. I don't know, a hair care product or something, or, you know, a product. Um, I think what a lot of people resonate yeah. with and a lot of entrepreneurs resonate with, with my thing is it's come from such a personal problem. And that's why I care so much. Um, yeah, no, Dragon's Den was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I'd recommend it to any entrepreneur that wants to go for it. Um, but it is obviously crazy. And there's a lot of, yeah, the month afterwards, your life is just a very blurry, shall we say. Um, obviously, yeah. the media went mental. I was in, like, most newspapers. I was on TV interviews and stuff. And it was, there's a lot of really positive sides to it. But there's obviously, you know, the, the trolling sides and the constant media sides and yeah. stuff are obviously quite hard as well um and obviously yeah. my story was one of cancer a lot of people came forward and shared their own experiences which is really amazing to have those conversations I think I got a few thousand emails but it's obviously re I'm a very emotive person and I feel a lot for other people um so to have a few thousand messages of people yeah. you know consoling or, or I had lots of people emailing from hospital saying hey I've got cancer and you're giving me hope and that's really hard um yeah that's tough that's really tough because it's like you just reply being like you got this but like obviously you just never know do you so like it's hard um yeah, so yeah it was yeah amazing experience absolute roller coaster I'm sure any entrepreneur will attest to that but really glad I did it um and now really excited and blessed to have the opportunity to kind of try and help more people and spread the word of the business and um all the campaigns and stuff. I think you've probably seen them on Instagram, but like just, yeah, do do more work like that and get co more cool messages from cool people. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah.
Um, I think what I like, I mean, what I love about what you said as well is, is, is leading up to leading up to something like that. You just yeah. kept saying no, no, no. And there were so many reasons why yeah. you weren't going to, and you didn't want to. Um, and I think you said earlier, you know, the, the only person that gets in the way of us yeah. is ourselves. Um, and you know, all these different reasons to say no, even the week before you were saying, no, I'm not going to do it. And you took you you took the plunge you stepped out of the comfort zone and you faced your fears and i think that's what it really is isn't it it's it's really just it's walking yeah. into your fear it's walking straight into the fear um and like you said you even went with the you went with the ideology that you know they were going to you know oh, yeah. they were going to to you <laughs> um and i'm yeah people have watched it enough times to know that they do sometimes but i think what's interesting is that you even went in with with that idea as well. And it was, it's quite nice to see and to hear that when you then heard someone like Stephen Bartlett say, you know, it was phenomenal. Just, just the surprise that you personally had, I think just shows that, you know, just really kind of where you were going with this and what you were really doing. And that really, if you do walk towards your fear, just how amazing some of the things after yeah I completely agree and I think also for me it was a good learning and so I'm a big confident I spoke to I think it's BBC Women's Hour about this um I'm a huge believer that confidence needs to come from within right but I think in that moment of complete and utter fear paralysis whether you're pitching to a huge retailer or you're on Dragon's Den or whatever in that moment where you're you are so unsure of yourself and no amount of confidence coaching whatever is going to get you through it that's what I always say to people get confidence from literally wherever you can so if, you, if you're searching in here if you're searching in your heart and you can't find it and you know it means a whatever multi-million pound mogul says something and you're able to latch onto <laughs> that and run with it run and then it happened he said that and then peter jones said something else about like you know well, i don't know whatever he said something really complimentary and i was like right and i took them and, you know, in that moment, I think it was very, it's, it's fight or flight, right? I could have just took it and been like, okay, cool. And then fallen back into, but I'm still useless and they're still going to hate me and da 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 Which, honestly, had they have done that, I would have never got an offer because the next two hours, little did I know, it is literally a grilling. They go into every aspect of your business. <laughs> you have to know your maths within two seconds. You have to know da 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 um, And I think had I not been able to use his words and then Peter's words as like almost a stepping stone to pull myself up a bit and be like right come on now like they've said something positive you know push your shoulders back and get on with it and come on now you're gonna fight now then I would have never got an offer Uh, it was just being able to in that moment be like right I don't have any confidence in myself there's a camera crew of 7,000 people over there staring at me which are telling me to ignore um take confidence from wherever you can so I say to people you know even if someone leaves a positive message on your Instagram account or I spoke to an entrepreneur the other day who's cash negligent at the moment. Basically, their business is money is just, it's, they're struggling. And I gave them a bit of advice about financial literacy, et cetera. But the other thing I said was, they were like, I'm super demotivated. I'm super this, I'm super that. I was like, what is your why? Like, why did you start this business? You know, for me, the reason I, the, my why that I refer back to every single day is a message I got in November 2021 when I first started TikTok. And it was from a mum called Trin um and her daughter who's 14 had seen the product she'd had a pseudo a similar surgery to me um and she'd seen my tiktok and she'd gone to her mum and said that she'd never felt more seen or represented and that for me is my why i'm not going to cry for the second time on this podcast classic um that for me is my why i have it screenshotted it saved on my phone and every single time that you get a rejection or your business is about to fall over or you're having a day where running your own business feels like pushing sand up a hill I read my why and that's the thing that keeps me going so anyone that asks me I say you know find your why 
and if you're I also think you know if, if you're why if you're a business owner and your why is solely to make money obviously money's important right money makes the world go around and you need to you're always really going to struggle with that intrinsic motivation of like why am I doing this why am I actually here what am I actually trying to do obviously you have to keep your balance sheet you have to keep your business cash generative you have to keep all the numbers in the right direction but I think if you're solely doing it for money I think you can really tell the difference between business owners that are but also versus people that have started with some sort of purpose either sustainability or kind of um, social yeah. impact yeah yeah no it's, it's 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 always it's all really 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 interesting and I agree with the sense of it, why you know it is really finding why and even if that why yeah. is tiny and um, no one else yeah. has to understand the why if it's the why that helps you get through that that milestone or that day or even that hour or whatever it is that you need to do, that why can be so instrumental and yeah. so important. Um, and it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. As long as it makes sense to you, then absolutely, I agree, find your why. And uh, I wanted to then also just ask, you know, you said you were 25, obviously, mm -hmm. when all of this happened. Um, and, you know, no one can, no one can lead you, set you up for anything like this. No one can give you advice no. leading all the way up to this of how to cope with it, how to handle it, especially mentally. Um, so I just wanted to ask how mentally, how <laughs> did this, how did you take it on? How, 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 how did it, you know, how did this it? This is really going to sound crazy to you because you never had cancer, but for a lot of people that have had cancer, it makes sense. Um, I built a spreadsheet. So I was like, so at the time I was in Unilever, I was, you know, flying high, corporate job, whatever. And then I got obviously this diagnosis and I had between diagnosis and surgery, I think a month that's right yeah about a month um of like and it, but obviously it's like back to back it's a pet scan it's a whatever it's a biopsy and um I built a spreadsheet because I had absolutely no idea how to cope with it um I didn't want to get upset I didn't want to get upset at work yeah. I wanted to keep working till the very end um I didn't want to talk about it with anyone I didn't want to get a therapist I didn't want to tell my friends I, did, I just you know like my this can sound so stupid but my personal brand was Lucy, who was the work social sec, who would always organise the trips to the pub, who was baking birthday cakes for everyone. I did not want to be Lucy the sick person. I was like, you know, what the hell? Like, no, I've never, like, no. I was just like, I'm just not doing it. I just was like, no. And then my doctor's like, okay. Um, cool. Um, so I built a spreadsheet, and I basically decided I was just going to do it one scan at a time, one, you know, blood test at a time, one whatever at a time. Did the same in hospital. Um, so I didn't cry in hospital um just you know when we did like when there's obviously bits that aren't particularly nice like intensive care or whatever I'd write like raps with the nurses I was like making everything into a joke like I think everyone was just a bit like what the hell when's she gonna crash but I just refused I was you know I was so frightened of letting my mum get upset or like oh, my mum's super tough but like I was so frightened of my family getting upset because obviously watching for me, watching a loved one going through something rubbish is so much harder than going through something rubbish yourself. Like seeing someone else in pain or seeing someone else scared or whatever, for me, is the worst feeling in the entire world. And I hate it. It's like my biggest fear in the world now is someone that I love getting sick and I just knock on wood. Um, but yeah, so I built a spreadsheet, refused to cry. I just got on with it. And then when I got out of hospital, um, a couple of days later, um, I developed a very strong stammer. So I was stammering a lot and I couldn't really speak very well. Um, and we got to the point where we went to see a, I went to the doctor and they're like, okay, we think you need to speak to a psychiatrist, speak to a psychiatrist. And I got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so obviously I'd never like, 
I hadn't given my body or brain any space to think about what was going on. I just built spreadsheets and tried to blast through it, whatever. And it yeah, manifested in really strong PTSD. Um, so I lost my speech for a couple of weeks um, really severely. So I had to do like speech therapy and things like that. Um, obviously all the standard stuff like nightmares and flashbacks and all of that kind of quite intense stuff that comes with PTSD. Also, it was interesting because it was a, um, hello, um, just doing a therapy session. <laughs> it's like, um, it's not really like a, a thing I'd really heard of before. I'd kind of thought it was just for people maybe that had been in the army or, you know, things like that, seen horrific things like that. Um, yeah. so I did therapy. I was on for antidepressants. I didn't take them. Um, but I did like a lot of therapy to get, to get myself better and, and things like that. Um, but I think, you know, one of the charity partners I've supported, so Taboo does a lot of charity work. We support, oh, we again, it's me. We donate a lot to charity. That's a big part of what I do. Um, and one of the partners I have supported in 2022 was a charity called Life After Cancer. And they did a study and they found that nine and nine in 10 of the people that go to their support groups find life after cancer harder than cancer itself. Um, because you're learning you know, when you're in cancer, you have these plans and like, da, 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 you've got these nurses, whatever. And then afterwards, you're just kind of left with this new body. Um, lots of my friends, for example, in their early 20s have menopause or are infertile now. Um, or like me, live with a load of, you know, rattle like a bloody, sorry, swear, rattle like a, you know, medicine cabinet, whatever. Like, um, and obviously the mental side, when you're in it, you are so just determined that you're going to get better that you don't give yourself any headspace of, well, what next? And then, yeah, so the, the mental side, um was it was tough yeah I, you know it, nothing really prepares you for it and also there's just so many small life milestones to get through so it's like you know the first time you have sex again with your new body or the first time you go to the beach with your new body or the first time you go on holiday with your new body there's all these weird sort of life milestones um so I got myself a lot better and then after Dragon's Den um and just kind of everything lots of other things in my life have changed again um that's when I noticed I was sort of struggling a lot more. Um, and I think there'd been a lot of unresolved stuff that I just kind of put in the bin and been like, yeah, whatever. Um, and last year I was speaking with a doctor who was like, okay, well, you, you've got depression. And I was like, no, I don't. She was like, no, you, you're depressed. And I was like, no, stop it. Um, so I was like, cool. Um, and I eventually yeah, decided to accept the help with the antidepressants. And I've been doing that and therapy and stuff. And that's been hugely life-changing for me. I think it's been such an interesting journey for me because I think you know my whole brand the whole brand mission is to remove the stigma around medication by starting the conversations we're too uncomfortable to have I do loads of advocacy work in talking about things like antidepressants and getting people to talk about the mental health mental health medication but when it came to me when on two different times I've been offered it I was like no I don't need it no I'm just gonna get on with it I'm just gonna get over I'm just gonna get over myself you know whatever all of this stuff but for me to be honest accepting that medication has been absolutely life-changing and obviously in combination with hundreds of other things that I've changed it's it slowly let me get sort of a bit of my life back um yeah I think there is such a huge stigma you know and that's why I love um Dr Alex so much from Love Island right I met him last year he's awesome um yeah. and all his work he's doing because he's a super successful guy right he's a doctor he's an author and whatever he also just happens to take I think essentially which is for his anxiety and my whole stance and, and whole thing I try and push with um with taboo is if you're you know is if you're being a, obviously you have to be really careful right so i'd never encourage anyone to do anything with their mental health um but if you're being referred by a doctor multiple times to try some medication or something obviously it's up to your doctor and up to all those things and you're not taking it because you're worried about 
you know, telling your friends or you're worried about the stigma or you're worried about what people might think, like, there could be this whole new life waiting for you, right? You know, if you're someone that's been struggling with mental health, there could be this, this could unlock this whole new world for you, which to be honest, it did for me. Um, and I just try and push to anyone that will listen to me, you know, it's literally just a pill. It's tiny. It takes five seconds to take. Um, and it, it's changed lives for so many people. It's some people take it forever. Some people don't like, you know, again, I'm going to be really careful because I'd never encourage anyone to make any sort of decision, but I think the stigma and stuff has just got to go. And we've just, you know, you'd never feel embarrassed about taking a vitamin or a, something for your physical health. You know, if you're asthmatic, you never feel embarrassed about taking your inhaler. Um, so I think, yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of been my journey. At first it was just therapy. And then after a while I decided to accept some stronger intervention and it's been great. I don't know how long I'll, I'll do it for because I'm under care of my team and stuff. But yeah, my biggest message is just there is no shame. There is no stigma. The majority of the most successful people in the world are all taking this stuff. We just don't talk about it. I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not in that group. You know what I mean? Most of the, yeah, most of the most, like most of the most successful entrepreneurs I've met are all taking anti anxiety medication. They're just not talking about it. No one talks about it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. How are you doing now then? Like, yeah, good. I'm in today? Thailand. Look at the view. <laughs> no, I'm doing good. I think um, my biggest mantra with everything at the moment, obviously, your mood is super up and down, right? But my biggest mantra with everything at the moment is just trying to yeah. keep saying that a bad hour or a bad day doesn't need to mean a bad day or a bad week. Um, so, yeah. you know, I had a really raw conversation with my mum, like, how long ago? Just after my dad died, actually. And I remember saying to my mum, I said to her, like, and this is the first time I broke. I've never broken. I'm always glass, not even glass half full, glass overflowing with fluid. <laughs> and I remember saying to my mum, I said to my mum one day, I was just like, when is this going to stop? You know, when, you know, I was given cancer. Then straight away, the world took my granddad. Straight away, then after that, my mum took, the world took my dad. And then a bunch of other stuff happened. And I literally just remember it was the first time I broke. And I just said to my mum, like, when is this going to stop? Like, this is relentless now. Like, I'm age 27. This stuff shouldn't have happened. This, like, uh, you know, obviously there's a caveat. Obviously, there's a lot more people that have gone through a lot worse. But, like, I was looking around at my friends and the biggest problems any of them had at the time were whether the genes fit them or not. And my biggest problems at the time were, you know, I've got a half a stomach now and I've got all these disabilities and my parents just died. And, like, I just remember thinking at the same time, I'm like, you know, when's this going to stop? And she gave me really good advice. She said, you know, life doesn't stop happening. Um, you just, with each encounter get stronger and more well equipped to deal with it and she said and it makes you also stronger and more well equipped to help other people and that's always stuck with me so now I've got a friend who just had a double mastectomy she was going through cancer um and I've been able to be a really brilliant support to her because I know all friends can be supportive but unless you've lived an experience it's really difficult to relate to um and you're also thinking like, you know, what the hell am I saying to that? You know, you go out for dinner with a friend and they say I've got cancer and you just think, what the hell am I supposed to say? Especially if you haven't had it. Um, whereas with this girl, I'm able to be like, okay, cool. So what's the next treatment? She's like, oh, I've got this. And I'm like, cool, I've had that. This is what happens. This is what you should do. Afterwards, let's get you some this and let's do that. And let's go and get your hair done because you're going to feel tired or whatever. And she's like, okay, cool. So yeah, one of the biggest bits of advice I got from my mum was bad things don't stop happening. You know, life doesn't stop happening, but you get stronger every time you get more well equipped to deal with that and you get more well equipped to help others and that's kind of what I hold on to because I think it can be quite easy I only only happen to be once but it can be easy when there can be times where the, you know the world feels literally relentless right like I had cancer then my dad then, my brother, then all this stuff and I remember just saying to my mum like 
this has got to stop. Like, when is this going to stop? And now I just try and see it as like one day at a time, but also when bad things do happen, I just try and keep that mantra of like, all it's going to do is make you stronger. Um, all it's going to do is make you more well equipped yeah. to help other people. Um, and you just have to, I think, cherish and enjoy life as much as you can and enjoy every day as much as you can. You know, my big, one of my biggest fears in the world, I have two. <laughs> we're getting deep. This feels like the diary of the CEO with Stephen Bartlett. Uh, we're all crying. Um, two, my two biggest fears in the world are number one is my friend, friends or family getting sick because now I've been sick and all it's like, or number two, it happening to me again because when it happened to me, I was, you know, on this corporate career ladder with this big plan and all these, I call it unaltered certainty, right? I had this unaltered certainty of future, of what my future was going to look like. And when you get given a diagnosis and put in a PET scan, everything gets taken away. Every single thing that you thought your life was going to be gets taken away because you have no idea what the, what the results of some stupid, stupid cell on your pancreas is going to say, right? You have literally no control. No one has any control. The richest man in the world has no control. You know, Steve Jobs, look what happened to him. Um, and so, yeah, now I just try and live life as much as I can, encourage people to do the same when bad things happen, just hold true to the fact that I'm also quite a big believer, like everything happens for a reason. Um, because I think otherwise you just lose faith. I had a few times where I I had been at one time where I lost faith. I just thought, you know, what the hell, what the hell next? And you just have to find from somewhere the sort of will to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, that's, yeah, it's, that's really great advice because I was gonna, my last question to kind of finalize was what is, you know, what advice do you have? And I think it's really interesting because that in itself is, is, is really great advice. But I also then just want to ask then if there is somebody at the beginning, they have just had a diagnosis um, of cancer and they are at the beginning and, you know, I'm yeah. sure everyone takes it very differently, but they're about to embark on this journey and maybe yeah. they are terrified and they, you know, all the, maybe the beginnings of the emotions that you have at the beginning are starting to arise. What would you it's say? It's an amazing question. I've never been asked it before. Um, such a good question. Um, so it's the person going through the journey. Okay. So loads of things. Okay. Um, number one is your friends and your family and stuff are going to offer you loads of help and you're probably going to say no, don't do that. Say yes. Um, number two is don't race back to work sorry <laughs> um I you know was so determined to get back to the corporate ladder in the corporate career and stuff that I rushed back but I think give yourself time to heal afterwards um and just and just look mm -hmm. after yourself and also just yeah speak speak to people I think try and find ideally if you can you'll get like a Macmillan nurse or whatever right but also try and find other people in the community um one big bit of advice actually that I wish I had done is stay away. Personally, again, everyone's going to deal with it differently. I personally stayed away from Google. I started Googling my surgery. Um, I freaked myself out. And then I was like, because you read all this stuff and you're like, they're doing what to wear? Like, you know, that was an organ. Um, and so I stayed away and I took each day as it came. Um, I took each test as it came. I took each whatever as it came. I always went in with no expectations because I think one thing about cancer that normally talks about is, you know, you'll get given a plan, but things change or doctors change their idea or whatever so just yeah. just try not to you know focus too much on the plan and just also just let yourself feel that's one thing I didn't do you know if you're having a rubbish day and you just want to sit and cry out under your duvet just do that you know 
and if you want a mate to come and sit you know don't be afraid to ask for help I was I never asked anyone for help and I think everyone thought it was really weird but like if I could do it all again you know I would have said yes to help to one from one of my best friends and just said hey do you know what I feel physically awful um I've got you know I'm upset that you're all in the pub and I can't be there do you know what actually I would like to accept your help and for one Sunday afternoon I know I can't move very much because I've got my drains and I've got everything but could one of you just come and sit with me for a couple of hours and just watch a movie um so yeah I think don't be afraid to ask for help um stay away from google if you can that would be my advice and let yourself feel like let yourself ride sounds really cringe and I think it's a Ronan Keating song lol but like ride the roller coaster of cancer like it's a complete up and down you'll have days where you're celebrating with your nurses because you get a pick line removed you'll have days where you're like what the hell is all of this I want this to stop let yourself ride it um and also celebrate the small wins you know let's say you you know you've just bashed out 12 sessions of chemo and you've just finished celebrate you know you might not be up for going out for a glass of champagne or whatever but like buy yourself the nicest pair of slippers in the whole world you know celebrate I met a girl who's um she's a fashion editor for god knows what something really cool and she used to do um, chemo runway. So she used to go to chemo in the most fabulous outfits you've ever seen. She'd wear like a Vera Wang dress to chemo just so that she could feel in control. And that was her way. That was her version of her spreadsheet. I had a spreadsheet. She had Vera Wang. Um, so do the things that make you feel in control. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Ride the wave and just be kind to yourself and just know that every feeling that you have is valid. You know, if you've got a best friend who's just had the same diagnosis and she's laughing through it and you're crying through it. There's no right or wrong to do, right or wrong way to deal with cancer. Yeah. And just, yeah, be kind to yourself, look after yourself. Um, and never lose hope. Never ever lose hope. Like, yeah. here we go. God's sake. Try number three. <laughs> yeah. And keep going. Find, find a reason to keep going and never lose hope and know that it's not going to be linear. It's not going to be. You're not going to want to cartwheel every single day. You're going to feel crappy some days, but just just keep going and keep fighting and never give up. And then message me on Instagram when you've done it, because <laughs> I get I get stuff like that the whole time, and I just cry <laughs> with random people, and it's great. Um, yeah, hopefully that's sorry that was not succinct at all, but it was a great question. I hope you have done it justice. Yeah, you have absolutely you have, and a hundred percent. I think it's really important that people people know it's okay to to oh, go yeah. to other people, whether it is on social media, however it is. So yes, please <laughs> do reach out to Lucy. I'm you know I'm telling people to please do. Um, no, that was you know that was amazing advice. Thank you. Is there anything else that you want to mention or discuss? Today? I think that's everything. Well, a couple of things. Just thank you so much for all the stuff you're doing. Honestly, I've listened to so many of your podcasts. I think it's brilliant. I think the stories of adversity you're telling are so amazing and there's so many common themes I think in the story so thank you so much and just yeah I don't know if you're listening and you've always wanted to do something you've always had a dream you've always wanted to start a blog or do some music or whatever and you've been too scared to do it just try um your first 500 are going to fail and the boy weird boy at school whatever might laugh at you who cares like who fucking cares sorry to swear on your podcast but like keep being you never apologize for who you are try your hardest um if you fail yeah at least if you know do you know what, if you fail congratulations because you were the you were the one percent that tried because the rest the, the rest aren't um yeah. so yeah be proud of who you are and yeah and listen to you at this podcast because it's cool <laughs> thank you so much lucy for joining me and if you'd like to reach out to lucy then please do so this week ask yourselves what are you waiting for what are you scared about that is stopping you from trying there is no right or wrong way to deal with cancer Just remember to be kind to yourself. Life doesn't stop happening. This bad hour or bad day doesn't have to be a bad week. 
So have faith and from somewhere, anywhere, find the will to keep going. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.